When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got to tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists. It's the highest awarded topical brand in Colorado that prioritizes quality and consistency. Escape Artists produces these creams that help penetrate for deep muscle tissue discomfort. That's fast absorbing. Plus, they're not greasy. They're not going to stain your clothes or sheets. The best part is you can find them at your local Lightshade dispensary. There's 10 in the Denver metro area, soon to be 11. And Lightshade has a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flower, edibles, tinctures, accessories, so much more. Now, podcast listeners get 25% off non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you as always by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD Coffee is going to improve your morning since it helps with joint pains, chronic headaches, IBS, even more than that. You're not going to get the coffee jitters if you want three or four cups a day because it's loaded with CBD, CBG, and can be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks. And now you can get 25% off your first purchase when you use code DNVR25 on StravaCraftCoffee.com. I am your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today from Rock's Pile is his fourth time. He's one visit or one guest appearance away from getting that five-timers jacket. Give it up. Noah Yingling. Hey, Patrick, how are you? A little sleep deprived, if you can't tell yet. <laughs> Out of my wits end, but you know what? It's because I'm a little excited. You know, it's it's Hall of Fame week. I mean, we still really have a week to go until the January 25th announcement, but working on a lot of great articles. A new one dropped on Monday. We're going to be talking not just the Hall of Fame ballot for the class of 2022, but also what would the initial class or an infield class of Rockies Hall of Famers look like? Because this is something that we'll, we will get into here in the later segments, but I believe you and Kevin have talked about it. I've heard Manny Randow and Mark Knudsen talk about it on their podcast, and I'm so delighted because this is something that has been long overdue, and uh, we've been talking about it a lot on the DNVR Rockies podcast in the last couple of years, that fans and former players need to be represented in some form or another there we've got former Rockies players who really aren't even incorporated into the coaching staff, which would be incredibly welcomed. And we know how positive that would be and how much of an impact that would have on current players. And yet we don't have that. So a Rockies hall of fame gets me very excited to start pondering and, and become a fantasy. Well, maybe not general manager, it would be just just a manager, like a manager of a hotel, something like that, managing the statues, night at the museum, just having some fun here talking Rockies Hall of Fame. Yeah, and there's, especially with the infield, the Rockies have a ton of guys that could be in the Hall of Fame. And I mean, there's one you don't even have to think about, and that's Todd Helton, because, I mean, he has his uniform number retired. The Rockies, outside of Jackie Robinson, had two. And Todd Helton is one of them. So he he would obviously be the most uh, he, he would be the one that would 
be most deserving of it. And perhaps by the time he gets in the Hall of Fame, it doesn't look like it'll be this year. Um, but I think he will eventually. And perhaps by the time that comes, the Rockies will have a Hall of Fame. That's right. And it's little things like retiring a number, which isn't a little thing at all, but it's things like that and having your own Hall of Fame and inducting a guy that really puts a spotlight on a player for Baseball Writers Association of America voters to think like, well, you know what? He's valued by his franchise. So therefore, maybe we need to take a second look when it comes to their Hall of Fame candidacy. So it definitely seems to open some doors. One door that was open this past week was one by Major League Baseball to the players and said, hey, come on in. Welcome into this room of Zoom and let's see if we can figure this thing out. I know from all the reports that I read going into it and then immediately coming out, I just kind of throw my hands up and say, we're going to have to wait and see because really it was it was just the first step in this process. And really nothing is going to matter until the players come back with their proposal and then the owners respond to that. So it's, it's, it's just the first chess move and it's nothing to get too worked up over. It's, it's just the process that is negotiating a collective bargaining agreement. Well, and the thing that I was telling Kevin Henry, my uh, co-expert over at Roxpile, I was telling him like, okay, there's so many things in the past few years and like, okay, set the bar low, just set it low. So the meeting that they had right before the lockout, it lasted eight minutes and this one lasted an hour. Like, okay, that, that is progress. Wow. You lasted 60 minutes when you lasted eight before. Okay. You, it's not, it's not a high bar, but you can perceive it as a high bar for eight minutes compared to 60. Now, there should be a deal in place, arguably by now, to get the season started, uh, spring training at least, started on track. But, I mean, you just have to look at the little things of, whoa, okay, we made it to an hour this time. Now let's get it actually something in writing where it's not just an hour wasted. But, hey, it's an hour. And now we're, we're getting closer to those deadlines where, I mean, look, the deadlines are always there off in the distance. We don't take them seriously until you get closer to them. We're in the same calendar year, 2022. We can now officially say, you know, here on January 17th or January 18th, when you might be listening to this, hey, pitchers and catchers should already be in camp and have been there for a couple of days in spring training. So we, we got a month to really square this thing away. And I think it could take longer than a month, but nevertheless, the the process is is starting to roll. Owners continue to up the the number for that soft salary cap. They're still talking about the postseason being 14 teams. Any other wrinkles that were discussed? I, I know the owners didn't really want to touch the arbitration and the free agency thing, and that's fine. But anything particular out of the CBA uh, proposals here by MLB last week that gets you thinking, okay, this isn't so bad. It, they seem to be pulling back or at least going to the middle as far as, you know, coming to a, a, some kind of general agreement that helps out both parties. Uh, there's a few things. Um, I, I think one of them that's particularly intriguing is the quote unquote anti-tanking measures. And the league proposed something that would change the draft, which is that's the main thing with the anti-tanking of, okay, we're going to lose 120 games this year. So we get the number one draft pick. And 
in regards to the top draft pick, the teams with the worst three records would be involved in a lottery with the winner receiving the first overall pick. Um, so it's similar to a previous proposal they had, um, but instead with this new proposal, MLB added that a team wouldn't be allowed to take part in a lottery for three consecutive seasons. So that takes it a little bit uh, a step further. Um, but I don't think the MLB PA is going to like it because in their proposal, they said they wanted the worst eight teams to be part of it. So uh, at least they're talking on changing that where MLB before was, no, we're keeping the draft the way it is. So they're starting to come to the MLB PA area of it, but that's still something that they're going to be discussing for weeks to come. Um, They're talking about eliminating the super two status where it's three years till you reach arbitration, but they do take, and it started with the 1990 MLB lockout, the super two players where there's a percentage of players that are still have two years of service time, but they have two years in 160 days or they're really close to three. So that's where teams, for example, Chris Bryant, how he was held down in the minors by the Cubs seven years ago now. And he, he, I believe he was one of those super two players, but yes, for the, for the teams they have to decipher on, okay, if we call this guy up on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday, he's got one more day of service time. Would that get him into the Super 2 area where they they really shouldn't be doing that? And, and, it make, and it, the player gets a lot more money, which is the point, right? Because normally and, you go to arbitration after three years of service time, so you're third, fourth, and and fifth year after three, four, or five years of service time, you go to arbitration. But if you're getting it early as a Super 2, that means now you're going to go to arbitration that fourth time. It's going to cost the team – that much more money. So that, that is a good financial, you know, tactic or a good, uh, you know, middle point, middle ground. I think that the, the players will like to see, I, I think you're right. I, I think the players are going to want to work out the details on the draft lottery system, but I think they're going to like the, the anti-tanking measures The the only downside I could see with this draft lottery proposal, not the lottery itself, but in the negotiation and the back and forth, is the owners are going to say, well, wait a minute, if we're going to create this measure to make it less beneficial to lose games, well, now we don't need that salary floor because now all teams are going to try to win. And you know what? In the long run, that actually could benefit the players because if they push for the salary floor, that means the salary cap, even if it's a soft one, could get tamped down and... It's it's a hard situation. Look, I'm I'm not a any kind of accountant or a financial or, or business mogul to know all the ins and outs of, of, of the financials that that go into this. But if the Dodgers and Yankees and Red Sox they want to spend, that's good for the players. It creates an imbalance among teams in the small market and the middle market teams. But you know what? That's actually good for the players. If there are those clubs that want to have a three hundred twenty five million dollar payroll, that's great for the players. It's not great if you know you live in Milwaukee or 
uh, Cincinnati, places like that, because now you've got, you don't have that same kind of money to spend, but nevertheless, if you're just looking at it from the player's perspective, you know, this, I think this first go round is, is positive. And like you said, eight minutes to an hour, that's, that's an improvement as well. And one of the other things in the proposal that I found interesting as well is for the anti-tanking measures is that if a team has a top 100 prospect and they put them on their opening day roster and the player finishes in the top five in voting for a major award, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, during his uh, during one of their seasons there, the team would receive a draft pick. So that's another reason of, okay, if you don't manipulate the service time, we'll give you another draft pick. So that's that's something that I found interesting as well. 14-team playoff uh, picture. So there's teams like the aforementioned Milwaukee, Cincinnati, the Rockies. There's a better chance of them to get in the playoffs that way. I think that's something else that couldn't happen in the near future. And then I, I've always been a big fan of it, the DH. I actually, I shouldn't say I, I'm a big fan of it. I, I should say that I think the NL teams should be able to have a DH. And this is one thing I would I would actually trade. I, 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 would, I would consider having in baseball at least for, there's always going to be some people who don't like the DH. Or there might be even managers or, oh, this guy's injured or so we don't have enough guys. So I think they should have the choice. If they do it in spring training, choice of DH or the pitcher hitting. Who knows? Who Herman Marquez is, could be a better hitter on a day than, for example, Tony Walters, especially if Tony Walters is injured. But you could have that flexibility of, oh, I want a DH or I don't want a DH. But as of now, they're just talking about universal DH. But that, that would actually be something I'd like to see, though. Of, oh, you want the pitcher to hit? Okay, that's fine. You want the DH? Oh, that's great, too. That certainly would make for a lot of a lot of interesting strategy, and, and it would make for interesting strategy for teams that want to put rookies on their opening day roster, like the Rockies did with Antonio Sensatella and, and Kyle Freeland. And it's just a really a different type of compensation, really, instead of compensating a smaller market team or even a big market team for losing a player, you're compensating them for not, you know, uh, abusing players service time and, and and manipulating that and so again it uh, it steps in the right direction we've, we've got a long way to go but it's definitely positive that and positive very similar to everything that we've got going on down at the dnvr bar on the corner of colfax new york big to everybody that was at sunday's tailgate party for the nuggets the first one bus took you down to ball arena that looked absolutely fantastic we even had like a little booth set up pocket some of our merch and stuff that was that was absolutely fantastic i love seeing all that all of you that follow along on twitter no dnvr underscore nuggets doing an amazing job in all things that they do including the youtube channel make sure you're watching dnba show you can see us over there as well some great interviews with manny randawa kp we author of a fantastic book about Barry Bonds. We got all that covered for you there for DNVR Rockies. And you know that when you're a member at the DNVR bar, you get a bigger beer. That's right. We supersize it for you for free. It's 50 cents for your first month on the DNVR.com. And if you want an annual membership, guess what? You get a bigger beer and you get a free t-shirt. 
with an annual membership. Make sure you're checking it out even during happy hour from 3 to 6 p.m. for drink specials, appetizer discounts. It's the spot to be on the corner of Colfax and York. It's the DNVR Bar. And the official beer of the DNVR Bar, it's Breckenridge Brewery. Right now is the time for that Avalanche Ale, that classic American Amber blend of pale chocolate and caramel malts and a well-rounded, flavorful beer. Those caramel malts lend whispers of toffee sweetness, while there also is a touch of bittering hops to give the beer such a clean finish. It's crafted for balance. Avalanche Ale is a versatile and satisfying anytime beer. Don't forget, they also got the hard seltzers as well, and they are donating part of their profits towards the National Parks Conservation Association this year to help prevent forest fires. We came out to the tailgates for the Broncos. You know that we also partnered with Sexy Pizza. They've been doing their thing for 13 years in the Denver community, making their deck oven pizzas, hand tossed, made from scratch each morning dough. They also want to help you and support your organization or event. Go to www.sexy.pizza and check out their about page for the donations link because yes, they do donate to local nonprofits right here in Colorado. They've got four Denver locations, Capitol Hill, South Pearl, Jefferson Park, and Park Hill. And for those of you in Southern Colorado, the Trinidad, Colorado location is open for business. Saturday, baseball was open for business in the international signing period. Rockies have $6.3 roughly million dollars to spend. One of the of about five or six teams, actually it's probably like seven or eight, that have that same total. But they've they've got some financial muscle, and we already saw them flex that. They've signed about six or seven players so far. Number one being shortstop Diane George out of Cuba. They signed him for $2.8 million. It's one of the highest bonuses given so far in the January 15 period to an international signee. I went through this last week. Go back and listen to, I believe it would have been Thursday's episode, kind of breaking down what this international signing period, this is a time of the year uh, that has has changed. Previously was in the summer for July 2nd, but this is the time in which in the past, the Rockies have signed players like William Rosario, Juan Nicasio, Antonio Senzatella, Herman Marquez, they just missed out on when he signed with Tampa Bay, but this is when those international players, Ryan Maltapia, you name it, a lot of the Latin American ball players, this is when they sign 16, 17, 18 years old, and they make their way up through the ranks of the minor league system. And Diane George is the latest name that you got to keep your eye on. It's going to be a few years before he even plays in the Arizona Complex League in America. Nevertheless, this is a big prospect and a nice first signing in the January 15th international signing period for the Colorado Rockies. And overall, at least by MLB.com, he was ranked as the 15th best international prospect available. So that's definitely something for the Rockies where it's not like they're they're hyping up a guy who's a the 150th best prospect. He's the 15th best prospect. Um, he's from Cuba. Um, he was with Cuba's team in the 15 and under baseball cup held in 2018 in Panama. Um, but he defected from Cuba in late 2019. Um, his main, uh, his main calling card right now is his defense. And as it is with most, uh, Latin American players, it's just trying to develop that bat to a major league level. Um, 
And I mean, he's 18. He's he has plenty of time for that bat to develop. And also, too, as it is with almost all boys at the age of 18, they're still growing. So he he probably won't be his full size until he's 22, 23 years old. So he still has plenty of time. Um, originally, the Rockies were trying to sign him last year, but um, they they had to wait a year to sign him. So they ended up getting him this year. So at least better late than even though it's really not that late, better late than never. Um, So um, shortstop is his strongest position, but he can play a few other infield positions as well. Um, So hopefully with everything going well, he should be in the majors sometime in the four to six year territory since, I mean, he's equivalent to a high schooler now and, you see high schoolers being drafted by MLE teams and they take four to six years. Um, so that's, that's something where they're hoping that he'll be ready by then. And that that's one thing with some uh, that sometimes fans don't understand is like, for example, they assigned Ezekiel Tovar and he's su- supposed to be the shortstop of the future. He's only 20 years old and he didn't play above Spokane, but, he essentially by the time he gets the majors, okay, he might be the shortstop, but with Jorge, I mean, he could be, he could play second, he could play third, he could play a few other positions as well. So, and who knows, Tovar might not be the shortstop in the future. So there's sometimes fans are like, well, okay, this guy is supposed to be the cornerstone guy. Well, it's baseball, things change sometimes. So I always want to, you can never have too many pieces that hopefully will contribute to the, your major league team in four or five years. And you can never have enough shortstops, right? Cause they're usually the oh. most athletic guy. I mean, think of Trevor story again, career shortstop, but here he is in free agency and you go, well, yeah, he probably play third base. He probably play second. There's even some teams kicking around positions in the minors too. Yeah. And, and there's some teams kicking around the idea of, of putting him out in center field. So uh, at six foot three, you know, tall kid, lanky, you said, like you said, he could, grow a little bit taller. Hopefully he will grow out muscular wise, has a great baseball IQ. So that definitely does lend to this idea that he might be able to play multiple positions. If, you know, shortstop, if he gets blocked by Tovar at some point, but he's got a long way to go. And, you know, Adel Amador was, was a big signing a couple years back. And we're, we've only recently seen him play down in the Arizona complex league. And so next year will be a big year for him going out to Fresno. You, you got to assume. So it definitely takes time. And that that's one of the challenges that baseball has is, you know, with football and and basketball, these players go from college, which is very much like double a triple a type quality talent right into the mainstream and, and right into the big time. And with baseball, it, it just isn't that. So Diane George, a name to, you know, just to remember putting the, the back of your mind, he's been compared to uh, a guy like a uh, white Sox shortstop, Alexi Ramirez, who was a nine year vet did make an all-star team 20 plus wins above replacement. Diane George, remember the name. Also a couple right-handed pitchers, Cesar Vargas from the Dominican Republic, Keter Herrera from Venezuela, Marcos Herrera from Venezuela, Gerson Balbino from the Dominican Republic, Iverson Corpus. How, how great is that name? You got your Allen Iverson <laughs> and you got Manny Corpus, Iverson Corpus, put him at the top of your leaderboard for best minor league names. He comes from Columbia too. 
And should he make it to the majors, even for a cup of coffee, he would be the first player in Rockies history out of the country of Colombia. And finally, shortstop Kevin Hidalgo from the Dominican Republic. So again, we got to wait and see what's going to happen. You know, they, they still have some, some more money to spend. And so, you know, one of the Rockies calling cards is, is to try to get a lot of quantity, but it seems like they've gotten a lot of good quality here in the early going. So, you know, time will tell. Yeah. And I mean, as it always is with prospects, like I said, I mean, there's, there's things that change. In fact, I had a story on rocks pile today of the 1994 draft class and their number one pick was a pitcher by the day by the name of Doug million. And he passed away at the age of 21 from an asthma attack. Yeah. He was their number one pick. Uh, the rest of the draft was not great for them, but I mean, you look back at it and like, Oh, they could have had no Mar Garcia para, but you don't, you don't know. Doug million could have been a great pitcher, but things happen. And in that case, obviously a tragedy happened, but things happen. It's, it's life and it's baseball where unfortunately there's things like that, that come up and you have to have a backup plan essentially. Yeah. There, there were seven teams who passed up on Todd Helton before he was taken eighth overall. And that's probably a great, great place to, to start. I, I did want to talk about the baseball hall of fame infielders, but you know what? Let's scrap that. We're, we're in the groove right now. We're in the purple pocket, if you will. So Rockies, Hall of Fame. It's really a no-brainer. Have you given any thought as to what the Rockies Hall of Fame is going to look like? I, I tried not to think too much about it myself. I had a couple general ideas of what it could be or some different things you can do. You know, my background previously as a special education math teacher, we, we often say in the industry, steal from the best, right? So you might as well look around the game and what are, what are some interesting things or what's something you want before we even get into the players that would represent either the first class of the Rockies or just the, the infielders that need to be in there within the first five years. What are some general things that you would love to see in, in a Rockies hall of fame or in some kind of Rockies acknowledgement that they have a history? One thing that I would like to see, and there's a few teams I've done, obviously, the team that is best known for it is the Yankees, but I'd like to see some kind of monument area. Well, mm. I don't know where you would put it, but you could put it out by the rock pile or somewhere out in the outfield, but not sure exactly where you'd put it. Cleveland has one. A few other teams have them as well, where you have essentially, it's like a, instead of an MLB hall of fame plaque, it's a Rockies hall of fame plaque of, Larry Walker did this, this, and this. He played with the Rockies from 1995 to 2004. He was inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame, yada, yada, yada. Um, of course, without the yadas in there. But um, also, too, that's that's a joke in and of itself of my three kids, yada, yada, yada. Th those aren't their names. But um, <laughs> so that's with the, with the Rockies infielders, Helton, as we mentioned earlier, he's, he's an obvious one. Um, but th with the Rockies infield in general, there's so many guys, even at the different positions, really second base is the only one that's kind of short on possible candidates, but the other three positions, I mean, you can easily put in two, three guys at, at each, at, at least after they retire. There's a few that are still active. So unless you want to go, Rocky, or if you want to go uh, White Sox and Harold Baines and retire 
his number while he's still playing. That there's not much of a history other than that, though, in doing that. Yeah, I don't think DJ LeMahieu looms that large in Rockies history where they they make that exception. It would be the guy in the hot corner where maybe they acknowledge his uh, number before he's he's actually retired. But going back to the monument thing, imagine they had that out by the batter's eye. Now, granted, it would potentially pose some problems with the sun reflecting off of it. But in that beautiful landscape that they have out there with you know the, the trees and the little you know water fixture and the rocks that would be amazing almost as if you know you're walking through the woods one day and a museum just happens to sprout up that would be fantastic to have those monuments the one thing that i would love to have that would be fantastic i cardinals do it and you you definitely notice it a lot more i know the mariners have something like that as well but they wear navy and so the jackets are navy but Purple jackets. If you are, if you get put in the Rockies Hall of Fame, or this is another wrinkle, the Ring of Fame. I know the Broncos have that, and they do that. But you could have going all around Coors Field, you know, the Rockies Ring of Fame. And again, if you are a part of that, you get the purple jacket, and you know you're you're there the next year to put a jacket on someone else. So if it's one guy per year, I mean, okay, that's fine. And the first year is Larry Walker. Than Todd Helton, and I mean, it, it, it's going to be a while, perhaps, for your favorite player to get one, but that's okay. Again, one a year is, according to my math, infinite amount more than what we have here. I don't think that's exactly how the math works since we have zero, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. I think anything would be great at that point. You started off with Todd Helton. Do you? Would you... Are you in favor of a of having like a class of that that first class of a handful of guys, or would you want there to be one per year if there was a Rockies Hall of Fame? I think that they realistically could do both. Um, I mean, we've had it before with other teams, like um, for example, the Mariners. The Mariners have been around obviously a little bit longer than the Rockies, but they their first inductee was alvin davis i believe in 97 and then they had only one every few years but then they had randy johnson and dan wilson both inducted in 2012 and then they had king griffey jr in 13 lou Pinella in 14 jamie moyer in 15 so they at first they just kind of did once every three four years and then they had two so i i think the rockies could do something similar where okay the first year we're gonna have helton we're gonna have walker we're gonna have two or three other players and then after that okay we can do one a year or i like that i like that it gets it gets it really kick-started yeah right and you said okay now we've we've got some quantity to our quality and now we'll kind of we'll slow play it out uh, I, th- I think that would leave everybody smiling, much like the folks at Green Mountain Dental Group do. For all of our Colorado sports fans around town, keeping them smiling, especially those of our DNVR listeners who've switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. They're extreme Colorado sports fans like all of us. If you schedule your cleaning, x-ray, and exam today, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group, located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. 
We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with a huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, you can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? That's fine, because you can still get in on the action of the divisional round with same game parlays. That's when you combine multiple bets from the same game to get an even bigger payout. So the more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR. Get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DNVR for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So we got a first class that we'll get in. And over time, we'll get those guys coming in one by one. I think the tricky issue, and maybe this is one of the reasons why the front office or rather management of the Rockies has perhaps pumped the brakes on this because we were promised it when McGregor Square was was opening is that you could have players really holding the Rockies hostage. Uh, I don't think you're a huge wrestling fan, no. I'm sure you probably know a thing or two. Some of it has to fall off of Kevin. Uh, yes. our, our good friend, Kevin Henry, he's a big wrestling fan like myself, but it's very similar to WWE when they've got their hall of fame and all right, well, we're going to bring you in and well, yeah, we're going to make money off of you because of WrestleMania weekend and the hall of fame inductions and all of the merchandise. And so what, what am I going to get as the player from you? And so there's going to be those negotiations and could get interesting to say the least, but again, I think the fans deserve that. And I think it's absolutely warranted. And look, if you want to induct a guy and he doesn't end up showing up, okay, it's going to be what it is. But guess what? At least there will be, again, that spot, that Hall of Fame, that ring around Coors Field that has that player acknowledged. So let's get into the infielders here for the Colorado Rockies. Todd Helton is a no-brainer, should be in the first class no matter what. Who else do you think? I've got only really one other name that is a lock for the hall of fame. If you're talking about the first five to 10 years, a guy who I think is maybe not a borderline hall of famer, but he should get much more consideration than he does. He's in that class of maybe a John Olerud. Uh, he's got a lot more power than John Olerud or Will Clark guys of that ilk and Andre Scalaraga. But w- what's your stance on the big cat or anyone else and any other first baseman that, made an impact over there uh, on the first base bag. I think uh, Galarraga would have more of a case if he played more than five years with the Rockies. Um, I, I still think uh, at least for me, I would have him in because he was, he was so dominant in those five years. I mean, he hit 316 with a 944 OPS and they did make it to the playoffs for the first time that year as well in 95. And, also, too, he was an original Rocky, so that that's something to consider as well. The first um, star, right? Yeah, and he he averaged thirty four homers and one hundred and sixteen RBI a season with the Rockies, and he got 
Hey, he was in the top 10 in MVP voting in each of the five seasons he was with the Rockies, with the Rockies as well. So that's that's something to consider for first baseman as well. If uh, there would be a few others at first base to consider um, if they had a longer period, like I think Justin Morneau, if he was with the Rockies for five years, okay. But a year and a half, it's eh. But I mean, really, if you look at it, it's Galarraga and Helton, and that's pretty much the first base story of guys with longer than two, three years with the Rockies. Yeah, that's 90 to 95% of your offensive contributions. Mark Reynolds would be a guy who spent more time in Colorado than Morneau, but didn't have the same impact, but was a part of a couple postseason teams or or the one postseason team. So, you know, those were guys down the line. Eventually, when when you get the the obvious ones out of the way, great, that's fine. But there's still going to be people out there that said, hey, you know what? No, he, he won a batting title. And he's got this connection to Larry Walker. You know, he did wear number 33. And so, you know what? Yeah, I, I want to see him in there. And, and the, 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 base, the National Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, is, you know, people, it, it becomes a small hall and it gets opened up to, to some players who might just really be in the hall of, of very good. But there's a big gap between Willie Mays and Harold Baines and yeah. a big gap between Walter Johnson and Jim Cott. And so that's going to happen too in a Rockies Hall of Fame. So you're going to have Todd Helton, and you may also have still a very good player in Justin Morneau, perhaps at some point at first base. Second base, as you alluded to, who do, who do you think right now, when it's all said and done, who had the greatest career as a Rocky at second base? And there are two names that kind of jump out, but I'd be curious to know who you would put at Number one, number one for me is LeMahieu. I yeah. he played the longest of the second baseman. Yeah, he had the most opening day starts, um, and really, he's another one where if it if it was his way, he might have actually been with the Rockies longer, but the Rockies didn't end up signing him. They signed it. They signed Daniel Murphy instead, um, but. The other guy, I would say, well, there is one active, Ryan McMahon, perhaps. But the thing is, we don't know what his career is going to look like. Could he be a second baseman, first off? And is he going to be with the Rockies for a while? Is the bat going to develop more? So that that's one thing where with the active players, you're like, okay, he's, he's one maybe, but he's not at that point yet. The other second baseman is Mike Lansing. And Lansing especially because he uh, is from the Rockies uh, area, essentially, right. since he's from Casper, Wyoming. Stadium there when the Rockies affiliate there was the Casper Ghost was Mike Lansing Field. Um, also, too, he went to school at Wichita State, so that's on the edge of the Rockies' uh, main fan area. But he, he was still only with the Rockies for parts of three seasons. 98, he played a full season. 99, he only played in 35 games. And then in 2000, he played in 90 games before he was traded to Boston. So are you going to put a guy in the Rockies Hall of Fame that played in parts of three seasons and less than 300 games with them? I'm not sure about that. But really, he to me, he's probably the second best guy of 
at least right now, of second baseman with the Rockies. And off the top of my head, I, I don't remember remember any major Mike Lansing moments. I, I do think he had a couple real big home runs. I don't know. He might have even had a three-home yep. run game, come to think of it. But but that's going to be something, too, that will open doors that for uh, an organization that is still waiting on its 30th season, you know, yep. you, you're going to have to take some players that, hey, you know what, he had a fantastic one season. Like, again, Justin Morneau won the batting title. So you go, all right, eventually you'll get in. Michael Kadire. I mean, we'll get to it with, with starting pitching with Sam Bradfield. But, you know, a guy like Marvin Freeman who – you know, got some Cy Young Award votes there in 1994, and you go, yeah, okay, maybe. But yeah. for second base, I would, I would probably put Eric Young Senior ahead yeah. a little bit higher. Again, had a, a decent tenure at second base, probably the second longest after DJ LeMahieu had the leadoff home run at the the first game at Mile High there in 1993. So again, you've got that memorable moment. Was a coach for a little while. His son was on the team. So there's, he, he's still around. He's still relevant. You know, still coaching with the with Atlanta right now. So he he's definitely still thought of in, in, in very high regard. So uh we should also say Brendan Rogers. Just in case we need to go back in 15, 20 years. We did mention the name Brendan Rogers with his you know one season so far. Got a long way to go, but at least we we're we just had at least have to say his name. You know, Noah? There we yeah. said it. Brendan Rogers. And like with Eric Young Jr. too, I, I was thinking of him, but I was like, I, I also think of him as a left fielder as well with the Rockies. So for strictly infield, he would be, for me, borderline. But when you add in, I mean, he played 100 and I, I, it was close to a full season of games in left field for the Rockies. And also, too, he played in, I want to say, a dozen or so games in center field as well. Um, so, yeah, if you're, if you're putting a strict position on him, I would say second base because that's where he played the most. But he did play other positions as well. But yeah, he's he's definitely one to consider as well. And also too, like you mentioned, he coached with the team. So yeah, as you mentioned, Ryan McMahon, it got me thinking that you know in many ways he is almost this team's version of Garrett Atkins. Uh, I, I yeah. don't even know that he's really even reached the same offensive statistical plateaus as Atkins, but kind of that similar vibe, you know, 25 home run kind of guy. So he still has two more years become before he becomes a free agent after the 2023 season. So, you know, second base, third base, but that, that is a good jumping off point to say third base before that cousin that shall not be named. No, I guess we can obviously say Noam Arenado would deserve to get into the hall of fame. And Hey, he's kind of that perfect candidate when we talk about uh, at some point after the first class and after the Blake street bombers, and even if you do it, you know, one at a time, by the time Arenado ends up retiring, shoot, we could really be looking at 15, 20 years down the line. Now he's not going to play for 15 more years, but if they wait until after he's in the hall of fame, whatever it may be, a lot of time will have passed and the Rockies will say, Hey, you know, this hall of fame induction that we might be stretching a little bit, here and there, you know, uh, no one will come in and that will be, that will do seriously great numbers. So really for right now, if we're talking about players who've already retired, Garrett Atkins, best third baseman in franchise history. Those are my thoughts. Um, I, I, he would be debatable. The 
other one I would consider more than Adkins at third base is Vinny Castilla. Got to be part Vinny, it, yeah. Part of it is, I mean, he did play. He was on the Blake Street Bombers team. Mm-hmm. He did return a second time and a third time. A third time. <laughs> and then he returned as a special assistant. And uh, this is actually a piece of trivia. I One of the guys that I was thinking of when the Rockies were hiring an assistant hitting coach, they ended up hiring two this offseason. If he wanted it, I was thinking Vinny Castilla could be a candidate. Sure. Vinny Castilla played with the 2006 San Diego Padres. And, of course, Bud Black is not there yet as the manager. But do you know who Vinny Castilla's hitting coach was for the 2006 Padres? Probably Dave Magadan. Bingo. There we go. Yep. So I I was thinking about that. Like, huh, okay, so he's worked with Dave Magadan before. He's worked with him with the Rockies because he Vinny Castilla is kind of a de facto hitting consultant as well sometimes. Like, huh, that would be an interesting fit, but he gets to stay in Denver all the time, which then, especially when you've been traveling for 20, 25 years as a player or as a manager, like he was a manager in the Mexican League, um, like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'd rather stay at home, which that that's probably part of the case with him. Um, so, yeah, I, that was one uh, tie-in to Dave Magan over 15 years ago now. But, yeah, I, I think Benny Castilla is probably at the top. Garrett Atkins is definitely one. Um, Jeff Cirillo would be another one for me if he played longer with the Rockies. He was an all-star. Yeah, he was an all-star. And he is a player that you will never, ever see in today's age where he had 115 RBI and he only had 11 homers. I knew it was less than 20, but 11. Yeah, that's right. He had 326 with an 869 OPS. And mind you, that was in 2000. So that OPS plus was only 100, (laughs) which is just absolutely mind boggling but he yeah 11 homers in 115 rbi he had 195 hits 53 doubles only 11 homers yeah that was a nice little that was a three-team trade they they actually got him and yeah castillo would of course i think get in before garrett atkins i'm just so biased to some of those 2007 guys like I, i should have prefaced that of course the thing i love about castillo as you said comes back for for three different trips you know he played under don baylor for six seasons and was also with jim leland for a year and then comes back with clint hurdle so and and obviously works alongside bud black as special assistant to the gm so he definitely has some unique perspective has some great stories did a good job too for larry walker's retirement yeah uh, his his number retirement went up there and did a speech. And so, yeah, he's, he's a no brainer slam dunk. And finally that leaves shortstop. Hmm. I can't remember any shortstops off the top of my head that I've ever played for the Rockies that were really good and, or maybe would have been ticked off at the organization for some reason that they would have mismanaged or mishandled. Hold on. Uh, I'm pretty sure Freddie Benavides should be in there. That's the one. Can you believe they traded him? I still can't to this day. No, of course the list has to start with Troy Tulowitzki, which again, going back to this idea that these players have to get paid and they, you know, have to come to some kind of working agreement with, you know, ownership and say, look, we need each other equally. In fact, I don't know that Tulowitzki 
needs to be in any kind of Rockies Hall of Fame, uh, generally speaking. But if the Rockies want to do it properly for their fans, they're going to have to mend some fences when it comes to Troy Tulitsky. Not so much from Trevor Story when it comes time for him. I think that'll all be water under the bridge. Obviously, he was disappointed. We didn't get dealt at the trade deadline since he was kind of preparing himself mentally for that situation. I don't think that's really going to be that big of a deal. That's not really Story's MO. So that will that will be fine when it works its way out. But first class, and again, that's like first class. If you are talking about Walker and Helton, if it's just those two guys, fine, because their numbers are retired. But, you know, 1B, I think if you were really you know, going to go for a Mount Rushmore of top four, I think Tulowitzki may have to be in that, that first group. Yeah, he, I think, and if, if Breidich was still the GM, he would have an issue with it. But since Breidich is gone, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's already been seven years, believe it or not, where he hasn't been a member of the Rockies. So, I mean, is it enough time for the uh, wounds to heal? We don't know. Um, but time does heal all wounds eventually. So, sure. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if in five years or so he says, hey, I'll come back if something like that happens. Um Trevor's story obviously is one where when he retires, he should be in there. Unless, like I mentioned earlier, unless they, they want to do some kind of uh, White Sox thing with Harold Baines and, oh, let's retire his number <laughs> 12 years before he retires. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> Think about this. Let me put this out here there, out there too with Tulo and maybe the hard feelings. Here's one of the, one of the dynamics of this Rockies Hall of Fame is you know, once you start bringing these Hall of Famers back, well, where they know, hey, on the calendar, wh whatever that date may be, August 20th, whatever that is, every August 20th we know, or that third weekend in August, you set aside some time because you know you're going to be in Coors Field. Bunch of, you're going to make a lot of money doing your autograph signings, doing all these VIP experiences, things of that nature. They're all going to be coming back, or at least most of them have to come back at some point. And Tulo is going to say, well, I, I want to go hang out. I want to go get paid to hang out with my brethren where that's what we do. The third weekend in August, we all get together. I'm going to be with Holiday. I'm going to be with Ubaldo. All those guys share those stories. You have a place to relive it. And again, this is 99% about the fans having this Hall of Fame or this Ring of Honor, whatever it may be. But there's that other 1% for the players to not only feel it from the fans and from the Coors Field faithful, but to feel it from each other of, man, can, do you remember those days and, and sharing those stories? And, you know, some of them are friends and so that they get to do that to certain degrees, but but not always and, and not as much as they would probably like. So, man, it, it, you got to you gotta do right by these guys. You got to do right by the fans. We we need that Hall of Fame. What about Nafi Perez? Any other shortstops? He he's he's maybe number three on that list, perhaps after Tulo and Story. I would I would probably put Walt Weiss ahead of him. Okay. Um, especially since he managed the team as well. Obviously, they weren't sure great in the years that he managed. But um, Nafi Perez, he did play a lot of games with the Rockies. He won a Gold Glove with the Rockies as well. Um, he was not particularly a sparkling hitter though. Um, now granted, at the time they viewed batting average as a good metric of things where um 
Navy Perez did not walk much, did not hit for much power. So if you look at the OPS, the OPS plus, you're like, okay, how is this guy in the team? But you have to consider product of the time had a high batting average. If you look 98 to uh, 2000, he hit 280. So that was, that was viewed as good. Um, also, he had a total of 31 triples in those three years, which he lot. was, yeah, he was a guy that took advantage of the vast expanse that is Coors Field. Um, so he is a guy, Walt Weiss, like I mentioned, is a guy. And really after that, then uh, you don't, uh, maybe Clint Barmas, I, I wouldn't, but maybe since he was part of the uh, teams that were essentially the best years of the Rockies, but like in 07, he only played in two dozen, three dozen games, something like that. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was injured that year. So it's, I, I would say no on him, but definitely to a low story. Perhaps Weiss, perhaps Perez. And I, I I don't know about you, Noah, but I would be interested in maybe if, if you don't want to put Nafi Perez in as a shortstop, you could put him in as a catcher. Why not? Yes, 1998. <laughs> I don't, you know, he did play one game in 1998 as a catcher, but it wasn't a game. It was an inning. And it actually wasn't an inning. It, it was more like an out. You know, you're like one third of an inning. But, yeah. but it wasn't even a third of an inning. It was one pitch. This is honestly like a box score that I should have seared into my brain. But I, I imagine it's 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 not lost to time. But it's an amazing game where there's all kinds of ejections. And, uh, and actually not in, in, uh, ejections. Backup catcher got hurt. It was an extra inning game. This was the game I think that Larry Walker played some third base and second base. And so runner on third base, one pitch. It was a wild pitch, probably more of a pass ball because I'm sure Nafee Perez never played catcher before in his life. Rockies lose the game. So one pitch, Nafee Perez played catcher. And so you know what? Rockies are short on catchers. Put Nafee Perez in as a catcher. I'm kidding. I hope hope that's coming through <laughs> a little bit. For the Rockies, I'm actually looking at the box for that game right now. And – the Rockies, and this is the point that I made earlier. What was they, the date on it for people who else who also want to see the craziness of this box score? June seventh, nineteen ninety eight. This was in interleague play. They were playing the Angels, and they had to have the DH. So what they did is they had John Vanderwall pinch hit as a DH, assume the role of the DH, but then he had to move out to right field. So they lost the DH then. So Vinny Castilla play, had to play short, which he hadn't played in a few years. Bichette had to move from right to left. Ellis Burks from left to center. Nafi Perez shortstop to catcher because Kurt Mayer, Manwaring was the starting catcher. Jeff Reed pinch hit, but then they did a double switch. And Jerry DePoto assumed the pitcher spot in the lineup since they lost the DH. So... That's why they ended up having Navy Perez having to catch. And Larry Walker played second and third base. That's right. So, all right, Larry Walker can go in as a third baseman. Again, whatever you need. I'm sure maybe Dick Monford, that could be part of his negotiations. Like, Vinny, look, if you don't want to sign for this money, we'll just put Larry in as a third baseman, and we'll just tick that box off and 
kind of kind of be done with it. But you know, I did want to also mention too with Nafi Perez with the Gold Glove Award. That's the kind of thing that you know. Again, it's probably a, a low bar, but for all the shortstops the Rockies have had, you know, not very many have won a Gold Glove Award, and so that's the kind of threshold. If you want a major award like that, that probably means that at some point, you know, you're gonna get in that Rockies Hall of Fame and, and maybe there's tears to it. You know, obviously you've got the retired number being the pinnacle of it, but maybe next year it's some kind of ring of fame. And then, you know, the lower tier than that is, you know, you're, you're in the Rockies Hall of Fame. Maybe you don't get a monument, you know, and, and I doubt they're going to make that kind of investment in all these different things, but that's, that's all you need. Hit me with this last thing. You got to look on your face. Noah. you've got something big you want to tell me, and then we'll go on to the real baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Bottom of the ninth inning in that game, 5-5 tie. Jerry DePoto is the Rockies' closer. He replaces Jamie Wright, who had pitched eight innings. Walks Dave Hollins, allows a double to Jim Edmonds. Hollins is out at home, and Jeff Reed is injured. Yes, that's what happened. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Nafi Perez goes from short to second, uh, short to catcher. Uh, Larry Walker goes right to second. Lansing goes second to third. Castilla goes third to short. Vanderwall comes in from the DH to right field. They intentionally walk Tim Salmon. Mike Lansing then, after the intentional walk, goes from third to second. Walker goes from second to third. And uh, Damon Mashore pinch runs for Tim Salmon. The Rockies lose by facing Cecil Fielder and a wild pitch. It was two pitches. So, I was wrong. I thought it was one pitch. No. Nafi Perez yeah. caught one. He caught one, and yeah. then the other one was, was yeah. wild. So that was won. on DePoto. It wasn't even on a shortstop playing catcher. It was on the pitcher. He threw the wild yeah. wild pitch is against the pitcher. Pass ball is a, a mistake, if you will, or error by the catcher. So, But, I mean, that was – just imagine <laughs> losing a game like that. <laughs> you you already know the game is lost once your backup catcher is out and you just all right raise your hand who who can catch and if he's like hey why not so that deserves enshrinement in a Rockies Hall of Fame in my book just for stepping up and another piece of trivia on that game of course it was the Anaheim Angels that were playing can you guess the name of the stadium at the time what Angel Stadium was called at that time yep uh. No, I, I imagine it was some kind of wrinkle of, of Angel Stadium, but no, I don't, I don't remember at this at this point. It was Edison Field, or yeah, Edison International Field of Anaheim, to be more specific. That only sounds familiar, like I read that somewhere at some point, but I don't, I don't remember that period. It, it must have only been like two years tops. It might have been a very five short years. Spell. Five years, okay. Ninety-eight three. So when they went, uh, when they won the World Series, the game was played at Edison International Field of Anaheim. The more you know. All right, let's get to the Baseball Hall of Fame here and uh, wrap this bad boy up. Not too many uh, infielders on the actual Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. We got a lot of first basemen, so let's talk about the other positions. Jeff Kent, second base, on his ninth ballot. Scott Rowland, third base on his fifth ballot. And then you got shortstops, Omar Vizquel and Jimmy Rollins also on his first ballot. Do you see a world in maybe, you know, 50 years, 50 years, a lot of time, a lot of veterans committees get together. 
do all four of these guys actually find themselves in the Hall of Fame at some point? Kent, Roland, Biscale, Rollins? Um, I think Roland probably has a shot at the BBWA ballot because last year he got 53% of the vote, I believe. Um, Maybe it was even – that might have been – that might have been the year before. Um, he's been trending upward, so I think he'll yeah. he'll he's a safe bet for BBWAA to put him in. I, I, I yeah. think that one's a lock. Um, Viscal, he he was at close to fifty percent last year, but with the stuff with him this year, yeah. um, he he's not getting in. And I will preface this by saying, growing up in the Cleveland media market, growing up a fan of the then named Cleveland Indians. Omar Vizquel was my favorite player. Omar Vizquel is not a Hall of Famer. Sorry. Um, so the others, Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent is a guy that kind of boggles my mind in a way, but in a way he doesn't because he was not known as a uh, quote-unquote media darling of oh, the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, not as bad as Albert Bell in that aspect, but um, Albert Bell had a higher peak than uh, Jeff Kent and played fewer years than Jeff Kent. But Jeff Kent did have eight seasons of 100 RBI or more. He had eight seasons of, 100 and tw- uh, of a 120 OPS plus or, or better. Um, defensively, that's an area where he is not viewed as playing well. Part of it is the last few years of his career, that's when defensive run saved came in, in 2002, 2003. And he had had a negative 52 defensive run saved in his career, his last four, five, six years. Um, So that that hurt him as well. But if you look at the predecessor to defensive run saved, which is total zone runs, um, in his career... He's essentially an average defensive uh, second baseman. So that's an area where I I think that's a little bit overplayed. Um, but you look at his postseason as well. He, it's not like he just played two games in the postseason. He played 49 games in the postseason, and he hit 276 with an 840 OPS. Pretty good. Um, and that, that was in 49 games. He's 19th all-time in war at second base first all-time in homers at second base Mm -hmm. and he's fifth in doubles and third in rbi so he's for me if i had a ballot he would be one of my 10 guys on there um same so but i i can understand people saying okay he's a borderline guy totally get that um but then there's some that are like no he he's not a good enough player where i i don't i don't see that again borderline i think with him and then there's a few other guys where, um, and we were discussing this before we went live. Of there, there's so many guys in the Hall of Fame or on this ballot, I should say, that you can have a case of being in the Hall of Fame, and that's one of the problems with the ten player limit. You could, you could easily have 15 guys on on a list of okay, this guy is a Hall of Fame player, now, especially if you don't consider PEDs. You have fifteen to twenty guys, and so, and it's probably you're you're more of a big hall guy. Like the guys that are on the yeah. cusp, you go, hey, if you're on the cusp, I mean that you're bordering it, right? And, so that's that's good enough. Yeah, and also too, 
if you look, for example, you look at the 20s and the 60s, and the uh, the number of players that played in those two decades in the Hall of Fame are just 25 off. per ballot. There's like 25 per ballot. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. And then you look now, and I mean, last year nobody got in. Yeah. And it's like, okay, um, the from the 80s onward. That's right. You don't have anybody in the Hall of Fame. No. I, I, obviously not. It's not nobody, but it's right. Comparatively speaking, you're talking like one sixth of the electorate. Now, of course, some of them are still playing, but for example, and this is outside of the infielder realm, but some of them you have, okay, Barry Bonds, steroids. Okay, I get it. Roger Clemens steroids i get it kurt Schilling, stuff after his career okay he doesn't want to be voted in with the bbwaa okay but then there's some of them todd helton if todd you you can't tell me if todd helton played in new york that he wouldn't have been in the hall of fame already larry walker would have been in the hall of fame already but that's one thing with the quote-unquote east coast bias where that's a factor and then there's there's other instances like of I think the prime example is of the sixties players is Bill Mazeroski. If Bill Mazeroski does not hit the game winning home run in the 1960 world series to beat the Yankees when he was with the pirates game seven walk off. It wasn't a yeah. walk off game. It was a walk off world series. Yeah. Yeah. Now granted he was voted in by the veterans committee, but if it wasn't for that home run, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Period. End of story. He's close, but he's not in. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're a sabermetric person, you look at his WAR and it's like, okay, thirty six WAR or thirty six point four to be exact, and that's comparable to Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford's at thirty nine point one. Yeah. First Carl ballot this year. No, no, he's, he only has a handful of votes. So you touched on Todd Helton for first base. These are the last group of guys. There are four first ballot guys, and none of them might make a second ballot, and that's that's kind of surprising. Did talk about that with Manny Randawa on Monday's podcast. You can actually watch that live episode from Friday on YouTube if you want to see our reactions and our fun back and forth that we had talking about the Hall of Fame. But you get 5% means you get on – another ballot, a second ballot. And then it keeps the conversation going and, and focusing on a player's resume and their merits. And you go, you know what, actually, you know, I, I could, my, my mind could be changed. Like Jimmy Rollins, a guy who, you know what, my initial instinct is no, I, I saw most of his career in, in, in Philadelphia. My initial instinct is no, but it's a no that could turn to a yes with more conversations that are had. You, you would think we don't need more time, right? Just study. But look, voters have lives and they're doing things. And look, they can only do so much homework and they need someone to tell them, maybe to their face, you know, in a nice polite way, but need to have that conversation, that one-on-one -on -one conversation of, well, look, here is why Jimmy Rollins is one of the greatest shortstops of all time. And over time, you know, in, in maybe three, four years ago, you, you know what? My no became a yes. And that's obviously been true for Todd Helton as he creeps over the 50% mark. Mark Teixeira is a guy that I'm surprised hasn't had 5%. And then you got Ryan Howard, Prince Fielder, Justin Morneau. I don't really think you can make the case of those 
final three guys being Hall of Famers or having a Hall of Fame career. They did have those periods of time in which they were Hall of Famers, but weren't really able to have the full picture. Teixeira, I think, has more of a full picture than Howard, Fielder, or Morneau. But ultimately, I think all four of those guys fall short. And I completely agree with you on that. And that's one thing where, for me, if I had a Hall of Fame vote, which I do not, um, some people probably are very glad I don't have a Hall of Fame vote. Um, <laughs> Name names. I, who? Who? Twitter. Um, <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> or or them. They. She. I don't know. Yeah. Twitter's a jerk. You want. There you go. So um, for, for Teixeira, like you said, he has more of the – uh, more of the elongated career yeah. of he, for example, he only was a three-time all-star, but he won five gold gloves. He had three silver sluggers. And especially of one thing that's really good about baseball reference is when you look at the awards. Now there are back to the sixties. There's plenty of them where forties, fifties, sixties, you're like Marty Marion won the MVP. Give me a break. But there's, especially with the more informed voter of the 2000s and 2010s you're you're seeing a better you're seeing a better outlook of it where you look and 2004 MVP votes 2005 MVP votes 2008 2009 he came in second he had MVP votes not, uh, 10 11 and 15 as well um if you look just at the raw numbers he had a total of, I want to say nine seasons of a hundred plus RBI. And I want to, well, it was actually eight, a hundred RBI seasons, nine uh, seasons of 30 plus homers. You do have to look at the era. Of course, that was a big era of the early to mid two thousands in homers and RBI. But if you look at his seasons, almost all the seasons are 120, 130, 140 OPS plus. He had a career OPS plus of 126. So for me, I would actually have him on my ballot if I had one. Um, but he is a guy that is probably not going to even get 5% of the vote. Um, Prince That's Fielder. Surprising. Yeah, which I yeah, I just find that absolutely mind-boggling. But Prince Fielder and Ryan Howard in particular, I think uh, in a way they have a case because they they were really good for a four five-year period personally i look for eight but there there are some exceptions for example sandy koufax had maybe six hall of fame years six seven but he was the best pitcher on the planet for those six seven years and mind you his arm was nearly falling off so he was so dominant where he he easily got in now like with ryan howard you look if you're a sabermetric person, you aren't even considering him. He has a 14.7 war. So you aren't even, okay, case closed. But if you look at the homers, you look at the RBI. If you subtract defense, even yeah. like, like what you're basically your point you're trying to make, even if you subtract defense, his offensive war, according to baseball reference, is a little over 22. Yeah. So you're like, oh, okay. You know, again, and, and he had, he had, I think, a smaller window of, yeah. of dominance than Prince Fielder and immediately kind of deteriorated, did win the World Series in 2008 with the Phillies. So he's got that, much like Teixeira won it in 2009. So they're similar in that capacity. 
Howard does have the MVP. I think Fielder might be the case where maybe over time, you know, a veterans committee steps in and says, well, yeah. you know, the, the neck injury that ended his career early, we're, we're not going to hold that against him. And he, he could sneak in, but I, I probably not. Yeah. And then the other one, Jimmy Rollins, he is a guy that are, of course, we both know well in uh, the Denver Post, uh, Patrick Saunders. He had his first Hall of Fame vote this year, and he voted for Jimmy Rollins. Now, for me, when I look at Jimmy Rollins, I'm like, okay, he won an MVP award. But if you look comparatively, that's one of them that I don't think he should have won it. Part of it is because the Phillies got to the playoffs, but especially now, obviously, war is not the be-all, end-all, at least not for me. But if you do look at war, the guy who should have won it was Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols came in ninth in NL MVP voting that year. Jimmy Rollins led the league in games played, at-bats, and runs. He had his best offensive season. Oh, and he led the league in triples as well. Um, he hit 30 homers, 94 RBI, 119 OPS+, plus, 875 OPS, 296 average. Won a gold glove, won a silver slugger. Okay, but then you look at the other seasons, and he didn't hit any 100-plus RBI seasons. He only had two seasons above 80 RBI. You look offensively with the homers, and he had four seasons of 20 or more homers. You look defensively, okay, that's that's something it should be considered, but what he won four gold gloves, but is he one of the top defensive shortstops in MLB history? Probably yeah, not. No, he's he's a little more old school as far as his offensive numbers with doing it more with, with yeah. speed. But ultimately, you know, to your point, and, and I I'm not one to, you know, take away MVPs from players. And I don't think you were suggesting that it's, it's just like the same thing with postseason play. And if you weren't good in the postseason, not going to take that away from, from your career and your resume, maybe, you know, you, you can bring it up, of course, yeah. especially for a borderline player, it can only help you. And so in this case, it can only help Rollins, but you look at the rest of his career, there was only one other top 10 MVP finish in his career. And that was 10th. Otherwise, there were only four other instances of him getting MVP votes. And so that, again, that kind of gives you an idea where even on his own team, where he was able to do it, those MVP votes are, and I haven't thought of it in this context before, but I, I do like all-star games as a figure to give you an idea of how good a player was yeah. or how good they were you know, received by their peers or by fans. And yeah, we know that it, it's an imperfect system, but again, it's something that can help a player's cause and make you realize, oh wow, this this player was you know very highly regarded, a lot more so than the stats suggest. But it's similar with MVP voting because that's a full season. It's not, hey, were you really good for the first three months of the year? If so, you can slide into the All Star game, and who cares what you did in the second half? MVP absolutely cares what you did in the second half. And so, three time uh, All Star and five time. Five times he got MVP votes. Again, that's that's okay. Puts him on the bubble. I could be convinced, and uh, I could be swayed. But that's a part of the conversation. And you need to get five percent in order to stay on the ballot. In order to have these longer conversations, we'll get to it when it comes to guys like Mark Burley and Tim Hudson with with Sam Bradfield 
this week because those are guys that at first glance I might say no, but the more I've I've dug into them and I and I did it last year with Mark Burley and I think I convinced a couple people that Burley was a lot better of a pitcher than uh, he may have been remembered as, but you you need that time to to get the five percent and when there's only ten votes that definitely makes it harder and I think some voters can be a bit gun shy. You know, because if they got to make their ballots public, you know, defending those things, and if they're not at the ballpark every day, you know, it's uh, it can be a barrel of monkeys. But uh, nevertheless, you know, it's it's baseball. It's what we love. It's it's fun to bandy about these things. It's why a binary yes or no vote. Let that be the last thing. Go ahead. No, I'll, I'll let you have the floor. Would you want the Hall of Fame ballot to just be yes or no? And if no, you you never get another opportunity or maybe in 20 years, a veterans committee, you know, has an opportunity to put you in or as annoying as it might be, as much of an annoyance as it could be, this discussion of, well, did you hear who this guy voted for? Can you believe, you know, she didn't vote for anybody or whatever it is as an, as much of an annoyance as it can be. It's fun. It is yeah. fun. It is entertaining. Would you want that binary yes, no ballot? I would want a yes, no ballot in the fact that in in that aspect, it would imply that there's no limit on the 10. If you want to vote for one, sure. I don't agree with you, but you can vote for one. If you want to vote for every single guy on there, don't agree with you, but okay. I I, I do think there needs to be a longer period of time, though. I mean, Larry Walker, a great example. How many percent did Larry Walker get in year four, five, when he actually dropped? He was getting, he was he was in the teens, and he gets in the Hall of Fame. In fact, he wasn't even in the teens. In 2014, he had 10.2%. In 2020, he had 76.6. Same guy. I, Nothing changed. Yeah. I it's mean, not he, like he just magically came back and, oh, I I won three more MVPs and now I'm going to retire again. No, nothing he changed. Was, he was going to be an emergency backup goalie before the pandemic. But other than that, nothing else happened in his professional athletic career between those dates. And yet the needle moved, again, because of conversations from our guy Manny Randawa right here in, in Denver. Pick up a copy of Blake Street Bombers. He's getting, ba- he's getting plugs and back-to-back podcasts here. But – it's it's the conversation that allows that movement to happen. And also, too, just writers realizing in 2014, for example, there was still the very strict Coors Field bias. Oh, okay, he can't hit outside of Coors Field. But when you, for example, if you go to baseball reference and rather than just have the preconceived notion, oh, he played at Coors Field, he can't hit outside of Coors Field. no. You can very easily go to splits, you go to career, or you go to his career with the Rockies or this individual years, and you see his road OPS is very similar to and it's the same thing with Todd Helton. Todd Helton's uh, career OPS on the road is just a few points shy of Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. was never proclaimed to be a guy who couldn't hit on the road. So, okay, he might have a... 1000 OPS at Coors Field, but he can still hit on the road with an 850 OPS. DJ DJ LeMahieu is another one where in the last few years, DJ LeMahieu was okay. 
we're going to get these. And sorry for using us. I know you're from New Jersey, but these idiots who aren't paying attention in the East Coast of, okay, yeah. nothing exists outside of the East Coast. Sorry. He played in Colorado. He doesn't exist. No, that's not how the, the, it's the entirety of things you have to look at. Yeah. So, oh, DJ LeMayhew. Oh, he's from Colorado. He can't hit. Oh, wow. DJ LeMayhew actually can hit. Wow. We're actually seeing it with our own two eyes. And we're actually at games looking at it of, oh, okay, he can actually do it. So he was a big factor, I think, as well. Obviously, along with Manny. And then a few other people where, okay, we have seen more information. We didn't do the legwork or the, the, the typing work online to see, okay, we can see that this isn't true. But, okay, maybe people can hit outside of Coors Field. So maybe Larry Walker is a better player than I thought. You can follow Noah on Rocks Pod. got some great articles. We'll link them to the podcast about that 1994 draft that was a bit doomed. About one of the people that we talked about today for the Baseball Hall of Fame, how they could have been a member of the Colorado Rockies. He's got a whole trade series of players that all around the league, all 29 teams, who would match up really well with the Colorado Rockies. So we'll link up. Some of those articles in the podcast description from Noah Yingling. Follow him and Kevin Henry. They're doing big things at Rocks Pile and Call to the Pen. Follow them on Twitter at Rocks Pile FS. I'm at Patrick D. Lyons, and we are at DNVR underscore Rockies for all your great Rockies content on Twitter. Remember, only 50 cents for your first month at the DNVR.com. So for DNVR Sports, Noah, you know what they say about momentum. It's only as good as the next day's podcast. My man.